Uh, so we are on a, st- a journey through the whole Bible this year. And what we're wanting to do, for those that have been with us, uh, we're wanting to go back and kind of hit those treetop stories all the way through the grand kind of meta-narrative of Scripture and the individual stories of it. And so maybe some of you, if you've grown up the church, you did this when you were a kid. You talked about creation and the fall and the flood. Uh, we want to go back through those stories again, but this time as adults. We want to go through them as adults. And, uh, and now we get the opportunity as adults to maybe ask some of the harder questions and to mine into some of the things that maybe didn't make sense or things that maybe you've even forgotten. Uh, we just finished here a couple weeks ago the beginning, in the beginning, that first section. So this is kind of the creative story, God's creation account. And last week we moved into the chosen ones. It's a next section where God is calling out his people. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to recap the last couple of weeks in preparation for today's message, which is Abraham and Isaac. So a quick recap from the last couple of weeks. The first thing is this. God looks for someone... He can use out of the post-Tower of Babel desolation. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. So God is looking for somebody that he can use out of the post-Tower of Babel desolation. He looks for a person who is willing to live counter-cultural, and he finds Abraham. Well, Abram, who will become Abraham. That's right. He's looking for somebody that will live countercultural. Abraham, in a sense, we talked about this last week, Abraham is a rebel of the post-Tower of Babel rebellion. So in a crazy way, he's like a rebel of the rebels that's now back right. Rebel of the rebels back, back right. Uh, and kind of the big idea that we, we left last week was this. To follow God will require a level of cultural rejection. We don't mean we don't love people in culture. We want to be with people. We want to be a witness to them. We are called to go into the world to make disciples, right? That is a part of it. What I mean by cultural rejection is what defines love for me. What is the compass for my heart? What kingdom I will prioritize? That inside of us. We're going to have to, literally God will draw you to a place, talked about this last week, where he's going to let you weigh in your heart, which culture am I going to primarily let have my heart? What gets to define right and wrong for me? What's in here? All right, with this in mind, um, we're going to find trust as one of the major components, one of the meta-narratives, big picture ideas all the way through Scripture. And it really is going to begin in a strong way with the story of Abraham and Isaac. I've shared with you all before, uh, I, have a, I have a learning disability Uh, But I also, by God's grace, in this, I've always been very inquisitive, and I've always loved to figure things out, even as a little kid. So my parents tell stories, and I remember some of this. Um, As a kid, I would ask for things like a tape player, or I would ask for, I remember, I asked for a tape player, I asked for a remote control car, I would ask for, like, laser tag. Do anybody here remember the laser tag game? You buy these, like, laser tag things, you put a little receiver, and you'd run around and, and shoot each other with laser tag stuff. Those were awesome. I wanted all of them as a kid, but I wanted them for a different purpose. I loved to get my hands on toys and tear them apart and make them into new things. 
So I would literally get like a tape deck. Maybe you have kids like this. Maybe you were a kid like this. And I'd get my hands on a tape deck and I'd take it all apart and I'd rebuild it into something new. And it's amazing the things that you can come up with with a remote control car engine, right, that you stick on things. It's amazing you come up with when you cut up a tape deck and hook it up to different sensors. Or the la- it's so fun what you can build. I love to tear things apart. And I learned early on, just weird about me, I'm uniquely good at solving complex problems, and I like it. I like it. This had an accidental byproduct in my spiritual journey, and I bet it's true for some of you, especially uh, this morning I'm, I'm speaking at the Two campuses here and one over on Ole Road. I'll be back and forth, right? So in our pocket right here, we have a lot of educated people in this room, right? These two campuses that I'll be at this morning are where most of our lawyers go to church, our medical doctors go to church, our CEOs go to church. I mean, you're in a room this morning in all of the services at both these locations with a lot of education, I think that God allows us to come across things that challenge what our trust will be in. And I think, thus saith Mike, I'm not saying the Lord, but I I do think the Lord is going to say it through Abraham and Isaac here in a second. I think that God especially knows that those of us that have always been pretty good at school and pretty good at figuring things out, that we're really good at trusting actually, even as Christians, in what we can figure out. We're trusting in what we can figure out. And if I'm being really honest, I mean like super transparent, there are some Bible stories and teachings in the Bible that I don't totally And the reality is, with some of these things, I have read and read and researched and looked and gone through things and mined for information. And I mean, sometimes like all the way back through history, even some of this stuff with today, I've gone back and looked at like Josephus and early second century temple Jewish literature. And like, I, I get it. I get the nerdy stuff because I want to solve it. I want to figure it out. And the truth is there are some things in the Bible I just don't totally understand. Numerous times, okay, numerous times I have had to trust in the Lord over my own ability to understand. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Sometimes this means even trusting what the Bible teaches even though I don't like it or get it yet. The story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac is and has been a hard one for me. Now, I've learned a ton on it. I'm going to share some of it with you today. But for a lot of years, every time I'd read, I mean, I remember, you know, like as a little kid, that it was like little Bible cards, and there's a picture of like a strapping young Abraham with like bulging muscles and he's got his knife up and he's got his little like two-year-old kid tied to an altar and he's just about ready to come. I'd look at that image and I'd always feel like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I decided a number of years ago with scriptures like that 
not to explain them away as mere metaphor, because that's what most of us do, especially the highly educated among us. What we do when we stumble across something in Scripture that we don't like, what we do is we just go, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. We don't like this in the Bible, so it's a metaphor. But really what we're saying is, I don't want to deal with the fact that I don't get it. Now, there are some metaphors in Scripture, but with this story in particular, in this case, to do so, to explain it away as a metaphor, would be to assume evidence that isn't there. In this case, I have chosen to take the posture of just mere trust. And by trust, I mean trust not in what totally makes sense to me, but trust in the Lord. And ironically, this whole scripture that we're about to study with Abraham and Isaac is all about trust. It's all about trust. Now, here's the big idea. I just want to drop this out here before we go back and look at this text again that Jan read for us. What if God does things like this, like wrestling, messing with our trust? What if God does things like this on, on purpose? What if he purposely takes you to places where he allows us to come to places where we must trust in him over what makes sense to us at this moment in our journey what if God does this on purpose? What if one of God's primary maturation tools was shaping you to trust not in your own creative, I solve it, I figure it out. What if part of his maturation process is purposely taking you to places where you need to trust in the Lord over what you currently have figured out? This is hard for us highly educated suburban people. It just, it just, it just is. Because our whole lives we've been trained to trust our ability to figure it out. All right, with this in mind, let's go to Genesis 22. Um, I'm going to reread part of what Jan read earlier. I just want to get back into this text, okay? And so... Um, this is a tough one. It can be a tough one, but it is all about trust. So after these things, now I'd love to spend time talking about all of the these things. Um, if you're reading along with our Bible plan, you know what these things are. Um, with the church, the church year, we're all reading scripture together through the church year. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He, God, said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. 
And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, being Isaac, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamp for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood on it, uh, laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Is there anybody else, like the first time you heard the story, you thought, what a mean way to build somebody's trust. Not just that, can you imagine the daddy issues? What kind of counseling comes with that? Those were the things that were running through my mind when I first read this story. All right, back to the text. For I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went on and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided." The first idea that I think we need to wrap our minds around, um, and there's a lot of authors that have done a really good job unpacking this, a really clear way to say it would be basically this. Faith, faith. What is faith? Defining faith. Faith, it is not so much a feeling as it is a commitment to future action. So when we talk about having faith, what I do not mean is that it always feels good or it always is Right? Like it always, it always is something that's pleasurable. Now, this is easier the older you get. Uh, if you're younger, you know, there is like this idea that your faith in marriage, you have this idea that you're going to get married and it's going to be amazing and it's always going to work out. It's like unicorns, muffins, and rainbows every day. You know, having babies is going to be wonderful. I mean, how many young adults have I met with over the years that just want to have babies? You know, at 2.30 a.m. after five kids... Do you just, I mean, that's cool. (laughs) And for those in this room that have been married for a long time, you know there are days when faith in your marriage is not a, it feels good, but it's a commitment to the promises you made over it feeling good. And what I want to do is I want to first look at this section of Scripture through the lens of New Testament authors. So the beauty of our canonized scripture as we currently have it is we have the ability to look back at things that took place in the Old Testament through the lens of New Testament authors and what they would have thought about it. So our first lens is going to be to look at this section of scripture, Abraham and Isaac, through the lens of James, right? So James makes this big idea really clear. Abraham's faith was completed here in this moment. James 2, 21 through 22. Literally, it was brought to its, to kind of 
honor the intent of the text. It was brought to its full expression in this story. So Abraham's faith was brought to its full expression in a totally miserable experience. At least initially. James 2, 21 through 22 says this. So this is New Testament bringing clarity to, or at least how they would have viewed the Old Testament. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, James 2, 21 through 22. Now the big idea that James is talking about with Abraham and Isaac is basically this. Faith must include obedience. You can't believe in your marriage as an ideal without the ideal having hands and feet to it. Faith and obedience, they they go together. You can't just have faith in God. Like, I believe that Jesus is real and I believe in the Bible. If it doesn't actually hit your hands and your feet, it's not really faith. Because faith is not a mere feeling. It is really a commitment to future action. Like, this is how I'm going to live. We also find, if we're looking at this section of Scripture through New Testament writers, Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead to keep his promise of his son, Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, and even referencing Genesis 22, 5, which we just read. So the two scriptures are this. So Hebrews says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall all your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And then if we look even at the text we just read, Genesis 22, 5, if you pay attention, there's plural language there. We will worship and then we will come back. And so within the scripture itself, there's this idea that Abraham really thought, I will kill my son and God will bring him back from the dead. That's a level of faith. All right, let's go back. A couple more things to point out from this text. This is early Jewish tradition. Early Jewish tradition has Isaac at 37 years old when this happened. Even when you look beyond early Jewish tradition, Josephus judged him to be 20 years old. So as you're looking through history, at least in my mind, how often do we view this in the way it's been depicted in cartoons? Maybe like cartoons when you're a kid doing like the flannel graph thing. It's depicted as like this really muscular, often with his shirt off or just like a little sash thing. He's got these huge bulging biceps and he's holding the knife over his poor little innocent child who's bound there at like two years old. That's not the way it went down. Love the flannel graph. That's not the way it went down. Uh, just out of curiosity, Is there anybody in this room that's, I hope this is okay to do. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. 65 or older. 65 or older, raise your hand. 70 or older. 
80 or older. 85. 80, we got, so 80, 80, I, I hope this is okay to ask. 82, 83? Right in that pocket. I'm getting nods. So right in there. Got it. Okay, okay. So now hang with me for just a second. Um, I want you to imagine, now what's happening in this text, the reality is uh, Abraham and Isaac were tested. Abraham is older than 100, and Isaac is in the prime of his life. Isaac had to participate in this process. This was not a middle-aged father tying up a two-year-old little boy. Now, in my mind, the way I was thinking about it, like I was literally, when I was writing this out in the message, I was trying to imagine the oldest person in our congregation. And, uh, you know, and like when you visit like a nursing home or whatever, I'm imagining like the oldest person in our congregation. And then I was thinking of my 19-year-old, just 19-year-old college son. So like the oldest person who's got like arthritis and body hurts and it's not working well. And then I was thinking of my 19-year-old son who's like in the thousand pound weightlifting club. I mean, he's like the prime of his life. He lifts weights as hard as he can. And in 24 hours, he's totally healed and ready to go again. Oh, I miss those days. You know, so he like sent me a message a couple days ago and he was like, hey dad, like an iMessage. And it was like, I forget what it was, 300 some pounds on squat. And he's just like repping them out one after another, after another, after another, after another. And then I compared that with the oldest man in our congregation who's doing this. Now you're telling me that Isaac didn't participate in this? This was a test, right? I mean, the reality is at some level, this was a test both for Abraham and for Isaac. They were both tested in this process. The other thing that's important to note too from this text, Abraham or Abraham and Isaac, they were doing something that was actually quite common at that time in history. Child sacrifice was normal in ancient Mesopotamia. Old Testament scholar Dr. Wilbur Williams uh, I don't know if you guys know Wilbur at all. He's, oh, he's an awesome, awesome guy. He taught up at IW for a long time. But Old Testament scholar Dr. Wilbur Williams, in his commentary on Genesis, points out from his own excavations, like he was literally there. He talks about it himself. On his own excavations, the common and atrocious slaughter of little children to appease the gods. Like he has seen the evidence of this himself. So it's important for us to note that the way God is talking to Abraham and Isaac and demanding something significant was actually really common at that time in history. So in a wild way, again, you got to put yourself in that historical context, what Abraham is going to do with Isaac is something that all of the ancient Mesopotamian gods were demanding of their people. So Abraham is using a common way of showing your trust in your God, but then he's going to do something different in the process. The true God, the true God, stops the practice and teaches that he himself will provide what is required to be right with him. I'm going to invite Josh up, and I want to sit on that idea for just a moment. God will provide what is required. God will provide what he requires. All he asks of us 
is for God will provide what he requires. All he asks of us is is faith. Many times in reading the Bible, again, even with Abraham and Isaac, this massive test of faith, he's using something that would have been common to them, but he stops it, and he's like, that's not the other gods. They will have you kill what is most valuable, your child. That's not the way I'm going to work. I'm going to provide. And ultimately, it will lead to even Christ himself. But what he does ask of us is for faith, that trust, faith, trust. So if I'm going to pluck, there's a whole lot of different ways that I could approach this now. We could stop and we could pause on the debate over his age. There's a lot of literature on this. So we could pause and go further down with how much did he participate? How old was he in this process? Are we sure that he was? What about in Hebrew, the word for boy that's used there? We could nuance that. There's a ton of interesting information on it. I'm not going to pluck that thread today. We could talk about the ancient Mesopotamian common practice of sacrifice that was used and how even in their journey of doing it, God was already nuancing it up, leading up. But I'm not going to pluck on that thread, though. That's an interesting one, too. I'm going to pluck on the thread that James and in the book of Hebrews, what they, what they pluck on. I want to pull on that one which is this idea of how important trust in the Lord is. Now, you're right. Our history, our context is way different today than it was back then. But the common thread is God will allow you to be in places where you will have to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. That will come to you. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how smart you are. God will bring you to a place where you're going to have to choose to trust him over your ability to figure things out as you think you can. Like God just does that. That's what he does. Because it's more important to build that trust in him than for God to continue to let you build your trust in you. So for you, you maybe read the Bible and you stumble across things like teaching on sex and sexuality. And we even have churches in Indianapolis that have taken the posture of, well, that was then back then, but now we're smart enough. We figured out what we're supposed to do with this. I'm going to trust in modern man, man's wisdom, my ability to figure things out. I'm going to trust in my ways. Like God brings you to that, to that crux where you read the scripture and what it teaches about sex, you're brought to that crux and you have to decide, am I going to trust in my own ability to figure things out, to interpret things, to put things, or am I going to trust in 
what God says to do. You're going to stumble across things like how you use your money. And you're going to read the scripture. You're going to come to these texts and it's going to talk about how the heart of charity and last, the lost, least and first fruits, tithe. And you're going to have this little catch in your spirit. You might, I don't know. I don't know where you're at. You have this little catch in your spirit. You're like, nah, 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 nah. Hold on, hold on. I know that's kind of what the Bible says, but I'm going to do my best to explain it away, do my best to just do our, this is the weapon we use when we don't like the Bible. Metaphor, 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 metaphor. It's just a metaphor. Everything's a metaphor. The whole thing's a metaphor. Really what you're saying is, I don't like what it says, so I need to make it fit my narrative. And there really are things that are metaphor in Scripture, but they're overtly metaphor. And so you're going to be brought to places, whether it's teaching on money or teaching on sexuality or maybe even a teaching on, oh man, forgiveness. And you know what the Bible says. Or maybe it's a teaching on life priorities what you will make first and what you will make time for. All all I know from my own experience, God will bring you to a place where he's going to work out your trust. That's the thread. That's the thread in Abraham and Isaac. That's the thread in James. That's the thread in Hebrews. That's the thread even to us today. The trust thread. And so I just want to leave you. I, want to, I just want to leave you in contemplation, right? I don't know in your life where these things are, but even now, Holy Spirit, you speak in ways that only you can. Where? Where in your heart, where in your life do you feel the Spirit saying, listen, you got to trust God on this one. You see, that's your Isaac. Again, I get it. I'm teaching it as a thing that actually happened, and now I'm also using it as a metaphor in your life. But that is your Isaac. If you would, the next steps cards are in the back of the chair in front of you. If you're in the front, you can reach behind and grab one. But the next steps card, I just want to lay this before you. Um, as God is speaking to you, as the Spirit is moving in your heart, if you need to talk with one of our pastors about your spiritual journey, mark it on the card. By the way, even those watching online, I am hearing wonderful stories from the staff. And thank you so much for filling these out and, and, and working through this. Man, God is moving in amazing ways in people's lives. If you need to talk with a pastor about your spiritual journey, like it's hitting you, you're not sure what to do with it now, mark it on the card.
If you need to start a relationship with Jesus, like now all of a sudden you get it. Like in your brain, you've always kept your faith. So it's like you kind of believe in God, but you've kind of kept it at bay. And you're like, I'm not in until I can figure it all out. What if your first step of faith is going, I'm just going to choose to step into this. You need to start a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's being baptized, right? Like in your modern mind, you're like, it's seriously, Having somebody push my head under the water, what's that actually going to do to my heart? But it's like a common theme in the New Testament as an act of saying to the world, my heart belongs to Christ. There's a whole lot more we'll say about that. If you check the box, we'll meet with you personally. (laughs) But there you go. Maybe it's being baptized as a step of faith. Maybe for you, it's discovering more about your spiritual gifts and your calling. Like you are a Christian, but... You you think there might be more, a next step, check the box. Maybe you need to join a small group, not just hear stories from the stage, but let your story be known to others. Maybe for you, it's learning how to share Jesus in your spheres of influence. Like you love the idea of going into the world, Matthew 20, 18, 19, 20. But it's like, I don't know or how I'm gifted. I'm not sure how to even do this whole evangelism thing. What does it look like? Check the box. We want to follow up. The reason we have each of these boxes on here is because in a sense, these are each of the boxes that are primary steps in scripture. And if you have any other prayer request at all, just a friend, a family member, anything at all, write down the prayer request on the back. But take some time before the Lord. Let the Spirit speak in your heart. Contemplate. Pray. Lord Jesus, even now, I ask in your name that you would do what only you could do. I, even for me, this scripture has been one for a long time where it's like, man, I'm not sure what to do with it. Um, I know it's about trust. How do I wrestle with it? You you don't seem like a very nice guy. (laughs) I'm not sure how to handle. Even in these moments, you bring our hearts where we just have to choose what we will trust. And I pray right now as they consider their own state before you, right now, Holy Spirit, like a string on a guitar, pluck in their heart what you want them to actually trust you with. Pluck it in their heart. In your name. Take some time, fill the cards out and pray. What's God speaking to you? I love you. love that I get to be your pastor. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.